0: Appreciate everyone being here this morning. It's good to be here on the first day of the week. No better place we could be. And I'll add my welcome to the welcome that's already been extended and welcome you here if you're visiting with us. Appreciate you being here. This is the Lord's body that meets here on the first day of the week. And we simply seek to do those things that Scripture has told us to do. No more and no less. And we are here to worship our God. And to encourage one another. So we appreciate everyone being here this morning. We've been making our way through the book of Acts, looking at some of the sermons that were preached as a way of expressing the gospel. We've looked at Peter's uh, two sermons that he gave, one in chapter 2 and one in chapter 3 on the day of Pentecost there, looked at those individually and compared them. Here we have another. Sermon here in chapter 7, and this is Stephen's sermon that he delivers. I'd like to look at that this morning for our time together. And I'll tell you at the outset, this is a beautiful example of letting the Word of God speak. Stephen briefly, briefly recaps the history of Israel and reminds his audience there that they resisted God's will for so very long. Even to the point of putting the prophets to death. And as Peter did in his first two sermons, Stephen convicts this audience of the sin of putting to death Jesus the Christ. But in contrast to Peter's sermons, the hearers of this message are going to have a very, very different reaction when they are convicted of their sin. We read of the events leading up to this Sermon, actually in the book of Acts in chapter 6. Read with me, if you would, in chapter 6, beginning in verse 8. Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 8. It says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. But some men from what are called the synagogue of the freed men, including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians and some from Cilicia and some from Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen. And yet they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him and dragged him away and brought him before the council. And they put forward false witnesses who said, This man incessantly speaks against his holy place and the law we have heard him say that this Nazarene, Jesus, will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. And fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. Does this sound familiar? Sounds a lot like what was done to our Lord, doesn't it? The same situation, the same kind of stirring up, the same kind of accounts that were brought against our Lord. Sounds very familiar. Notice what it says in verse 10. And yet they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. They were not able to refute the things that he was saying. As it started out there, it says, Stephen was full of grace and power and performing great wonders and signs among the people. Peter was speaking the truth. And they had no argument against it. They were unable to refute the truth. So what did they do? Like we said, they brought false witnesses, similar to what was done to our Lord. They raised up, or they brought up false witnesses and said, you testify about this man. So that's what they did. Notice verse 15. And fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw his face shine like an angel. It's an interesting little tidbit that happens there. In Exodus chapter 34 and verse 30. It says, so when Aaron and all the sons of Moses, uh, all the sons of Israel, saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. This is when Moses had been up to Mount Sinai for the second time to get the Ten Commandments written down again because, you remember, he broke the first set in his anger. This is him rewriting the Ten Commandments. He comes down, and the children of Israel were afraid to look on him because his face was shining. Verse 29 of that passage says that his skin was shining because he had been in the presence of the Lord. It's interesting that the same thing happens to Stephen. Especially when we get towards the end of our story here together. Remember this little moment here and his face shining. Remember that connection to Moses. He'd been in the presence of the Lord and his face shone. So we get into chapter 7. In verse 1 it says, And the high priest said, Are these things so? Basically, are these false accusations so? So Peter, or I will probably say Peter (laughs) instead of Stephen, but you'll know who I mean, hopefully. Stephen takes a moment, takes time to accuse these, his accusers of the sin that they had committed. So he starts here by recounting the history of, of Israel, going all the way back to Abraham. Verse two, he says, and he said, hear me, brethren and fathers. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran and said to him, depart from your country and your relatives and come to the land that I will show you. So here's Abraham. He leaves Mesopotamia. He leaves the land of Ur where he was living. He goes to Haran. And from there, from Haran, he goes into Canaan. God told him that he was going to give this land to him, him and his descendants after him, as an inheritance. But before inheriting, they would be in bondage for what would be 400 years in a nation. And that nation wound up being Egypt. And he made a covenant with Abraham. I had Jack read from Hebrews 11, the great chapter on faith. In that chapter, it tells us the faith that it took for Abraham to leave his country. To go somewhere that he didn't even know. Remember what God said, to a land that I will show you. He didn't even know where he was going, but he got up and went. Do we have that kind of faith? The call to us today is the gospel call. And what does it call us to do? Peter says there, be saved from this perverse generation. That is Peter in chapter 2. He says that. Come out of the world. Be saved from this perverse generation. That's the call to us. That's the gospel call. Have we responded to that gospel call? It is the great call of our time. Have you left your country? Have you left all behind? The things you know, your comforts, all those things to follow after God. That's the call to us. That was the call to Abraham. And Abraham heeded that call. Next, Stephen talks about the patriarchs in Egypt. Read with me verses 9 and 10 in chapter 7. And the patriarchs became jealous of Joseph, who sold him into Egypt. And yet God was with him and rescued him from all his afflictions and granted him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all of his household. Stephen goes on to talk about how his brothers had sold him into slavery, all the accounts there sold him into Egypt, and the events that took place to reunite them. And also how Jacob, his body, after he died in Egypt, was taken back to Canaan and buried there in the field that Abraham had bought so many years before. The lesson for us is, like we mentioned before, God may lead us somewhere we had no intention or any idea that we might be going. Under circumstances that we can never imagine. Remember what Joseph said to his brothers when they apologized for what they had done in chapter 50 of Genesis and verse 20? It says, As for you, you meant it for me against evil. You, for evil, you sold me into slavery because you were jealous. You did that out of evil. But God meant it for good. In order to bring about this present result and to preserve many people alive. you think about all the things that took place there with Joseph while he's in Egypt. And how he rose up through the ranks. And how he had this plan for for Egypt to survive the famine. And in so doing, his brothers and their families survived the famine as well. I believe God has a plan for each and every one of us. I truly do. Now, we're not going to have a burning bush. We're not going to have, as Devin mentioned, a booming voice from the heavens. But God is going to lead us where he wants us to go. If we listen to that small, still voice we talked about earlier, God has a plan for each and every one of us. Our duty is to follow what he's already told us to do. Fear God and keep his commandments. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13. Micah 6 and verse 8, He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what are you to do? To do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. He's told us what we need to do. So if we're doing that, we're truly walking humbly with our God. I have the faith to believe that he's going to lead us where we need to go. May not be under the circumstances that we want. Certainly Joseph didn't want to go into Egypt as a slave. But look at how he prospered. By following after God. God will take care of the rest. If we simply follow him. Next, Peter talks about how God redeems Israel. God had a plan to bring Israel into and out of Egypt. He said they would be there 400 years. But he, he would indeed bring them out. And he would bring them out by a man named Moses man who wasn't even born when these promises were made. Moses was going to be the leader that was going to bring them out. And the Lord appeared to him in that burning bush who we mentioned a while ago and told him that he was going to be the one that's going to lead them out of slavery. He's going to be the one to deliver Israel out of their bondage. Notice verses 35 and 36 here in chapter 7. Then Moses... Whom they disowned, saying, Who made you ruler and judge? Is the one whom God sent to be both a ruler and a deliverer with the help of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in the land of Egypt in the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. Moses did this. He was the one that was going to lead them out, performing signs and miracles, proving that... He was from God. Proving that God was the one that sent him. That sound familiar? Sound a little bit like Jesus' ministry? The power. The things that he was able to do. And the power in which he came to earth. And his ministry. that carried on to the apostles. They were given those powers. To confirm the word that they were teaching and preaching. You see that pattern continue. Yet... Like the people in Jesus' day, the children continuously rejected Moses. We spoke about this in our class this morning, over and over and over again. The children of Israel fell away and rejected Moses' leadership. But it didn't stop God from delivering on his promises. He made a promise. He was going to keep it. The lesson to us is the promises that God makes, he fulfills. He's promised you and me salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. If we are faithful to him, that salvation awaits us. That home in heaven awaits us when this life is over. For the promises is for you and your children and for all those who are far off, as many as he will call to himself. Lord God, call to himself. That's from Acts chapter 2 verse 39. That's what Peter said. As many as you are far off. The promise is to you and your children. The promise is to us and our descendants as well. Next section here, Stephen goes on to talk about this rebellion in Israel in a little bit more detail. Look with me in verses 37 through 39. It says, This is the Moses who said to you, sons of Israel, God shall rise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Verse 38. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness together with the angel who was speaking to him on Mount Sinai and who was with our fathers. And He received the living oracles to pass on to you. And our fathers were unwilling to be obedient to him but repudiated him. And in their hearts they turned back to Egypt. In their hearts they turned back to Egypt. As soon as the first sign of crisis or any kind of trouble appeared they wanted to go back to Egypt if you remember what that first thing was they were thirsty and they were hungry all these things the plagues that God had sent on Egypt and Pharaoh passing through the Red Sea destroying the army that was on their heels they get hungry they want to go back Stephen goes on to remind them of the golden calf that they make. Remember when Moses goes up to Mount Sinai? He's delayed up there, and they say, Moses is gone. We need a, we need a new leader. Let's make an idol. God's anger burned against them. Do you not think that God's anger burns against us when we disobey him? God's nature is not changed, He's the same yesterday, today, and even tomorrow. His nature hasn't changed. When we transgress his law, his anger burns against us. And the punishment is the same. Punishment for sin is death. If we don't take care of those sins as a child of God and we die in those sins, we face that eternal separation from God in hell. Have you turned back into the world? Well, we, we, we've mentioned we're supposed to come out of the world, be safe from this perverse generation. We get tired and hungry, we ready to go back into the world? If so, we following that same example of the children of Israel. As soon as adversity comes, we want to go back. go back to that old way that we were comfortable and living in. Can't do that. Stephen now turns his attention. To the tabernacle. He reminds them about the tabernacle that was in the wilderness. It was to lead them by day and by night. With smoke and fire. He talks about how David wanted to build a permanent structure for the tabernacle. He wanted a permanent place for the ark. But it wasn't going to be David. He was a man of war. It's going to be his son Solomon that was going to build the temple for God. And then Stephen preaches one of the greatest lessons that there is in Scripture. God does not dwell in the houses made with hands. Look in verses 48 and 49. However, the Most High does not dwell in houses made by human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and earth is the footstool of my feet. What kind of house will you build for me? Says the Lord, or what place is there for me to make my repose? Was it not my hand which made all these things? We talked about this morning in our class about humor in the Bible. And it's there. You can see it in certain ways. I see a little bit of that here. Man, what kind of house are you going to build for me? I made everything that you see. I made everything that you touch and you feel and you hear. What kind of house are you going to build for me that I can dwell in? When it says heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. God does not dwell in the house made with hands. The reason I say that's so important is this is a spiritual kingdom. It's not a physical kingdom. Yes, there were physical things in the time of children of Israel, but God was looking for that day when the kingdom would come and it would be a spiritual kingdom. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 1 says, For we know that if this earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house made without hands, eternal in the heavens. That's the kingdom we're talking about. That's the house in which we will dwell. These hands don't make that house. It's God's hands that do that. Now as Stephen comes to a close in his sermon here in chapter 7, He delivers a conviction. Read with me, verses 51 beginning. You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You were doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you now have become. You who received the law as ordained by angels and yet you did not keep it. Here's the conviction. You've put to death the Son of God. He was a prophet. Which one of the prophets have you not killed? Just as the fathers had done. Just as their forefathers had put the prophets to death. Betrayers and murderers they've become putting to death the Son of God. Brethren, I'll tell you that the Bible continues to convict us of disobedience to God in a very similar way. In Hebrews 6, beginning in verse 4, it says, For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance. Why? Since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. Have you ever thought about it in those terms? Here, Stephen's reminding his audience here of all the prophets that they put to death, all the rebellion that came down through history, all the way down to that day when they put the Son of God to death. The Hebrew writer reminds us when we do that, when we sin, when we transgress the law of God and remain unaccountable for that, don't confess that to God, we're crucifying Jesus again. We're falling into that same old trap, putting to death the prophets of God. Does that help us to put sin in its proper perspective? Crucifying again the Son of God? Finally, the reaction. Reaction. I mentioned that their reaction was very different from what we saw there in Acts chapter 2. Look at verse 54. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick, and they began gnashing their teeth at him. Hold your finger there and go back to chapter 2. Back to Acts chapter 2, verse 37. You see so many parallels in preaching and sermons that go out, reactions. Such a wonderful thing to connect those things together. Look at verse 37. When they heard this, they were pierced to their heart. Does that sound familiar? Over here in verse 54. Well, when they heard this, they were cut to the quick. They were convicted of the sin that they committed. The Hebrew writer talks about that sword being two-edged and sharp. And able to discern both bone and marrow, all the way down to a man's conscience and his soul. When you hear a message like this, you're convicted. Verse 54 says, They began gnashing their teeth at him. Look what they did in verse 37 in chapter 2. They were pierced to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the p- apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? We have put to to death the Son of God. What are we going to do? It's very different from what Stephen's audience says. They gnash their teeth at him. Two very different reactions. As the story goes along, we see Stephen getting a glimpse into heaven, like he was being prepared and comforted for what was about to happen to him. I can't help but think about what we talked about there in Moses and his face shining because he'd been in the presence of the Lord. Could that be what was happening to Stephen? Him getting this glimpse into heaven, his face shining like that? I don't know. It's interesting. Interesting that he has that view into heaven. Look what he says. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently to heaven, verse 55, and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. That's powerful. He's getting that glimpse into heaven. Probably understanding what's about to happen to him. Look at verse 57. Says, but they crowd out, cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears, and they rushed upon him with one impulse. Remember when you were a kid and something was happening that you didn't want to hear? Remember what you did? La 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 la! la. Can you picture these men doing that? I don't want to hear what you had to say, Stephen. I'm going to cover my ears. And they stoned him to death. They dragged him out of the city and they stoned him to death. And what did they, by doing that, what did they do? They continued in that very tradition that he convicted them of. Putting to death the prophets of God. It carries on. Here's another messenger from God. Here's Stephen. He's just told them how they've killed all the messengers of God, including Jesus Christ, the Son of God. What do they do? They kill him. Look what it says in verse 60. Talking about Stephen. And falling on his knees, he cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And having said this, he fell asleep. Does that sound familiar too? Does that have a familiar ring to it? Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. Can you see the faith that this man had and the concern for the souls this man had? I'm leaving. They have a chance to repent from their sins. Lord, please let them repent from their sins. What a wonderful display of faith that is right at the end of his life. Stephen takes this opportunity. He's drugged before the council. These false witnesses are brought up to say that he's been blaspheming God. They drag him before the council. And the high priest said, are these things so? Can you hear that haughtiness? Are these things so that these people have just said? What does Stephen do? He takes the time to preach to them. Takes the time to convict them of their history. He shows them how they persecuted the prophets over the years. All the way down to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, putting him to death. And in so doing, he convicts them of their own sin. And he predicts the sin that they're about to engage in by putting him to death. They simply carried on the tradition, putting the messenger to death. Didn't want to hear hear what Stephen had to say. They just took him out of the city and stoned him. Don't be like these men. Don't cover your ears. Listen to what God has to say to you. The message to us today is the gospel call. God is calling for all men everywhere to repent from Acts chapter 17 and verse 30. He wants us all to repent. He wants us all to come to the knowledge of the truth and to be saved. Peter said from this perverse generation. If you haven't obeyed the gospel, you need to. There's no other way to come to God except through Christ. And there's no other way to get into Christ except through this water. Or that water out there. Or that water over there. Baptism connects us with the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only way we have of coming in contact with that. If you've stumbled or you've fallen down, and you need the prayers and the encouragement of the congregation, we can help you with that too. Whatever we might be able to help you with, you can let that be known by coming forward as we stand and sing.